0: In this market, it's harder to grow and when you do, there are more operational distractions slowing your momentum by building and maintaining a global payments and billing system or reconciling revenue data. Paddle and ProfitWell are coming together to take the load off your finance and engineering teams. We make subscription billing, payments, tax and growth products that do it for you. In turn, you focus on what really matters, your team, customers and products. Find out more at Paddle.com
1: very often you look at other companies and say oh wow this company raised and this company is so successful and this company i mean uh, how did they get to this valuation and very often it's like very uh, binary decision so maybe they just had like one term sheet and if that term sheet didn't work out or if it didn't work out with that one specific investor it could really mean success or failure so the world for startups is very very often black and white and you of course also only see the success stories right the the, the stories were like companies are less successful they had issues fundraising they, they, you don't typically hear that publicly they don't share it um, uh, so like you easily think that it's super easy fundraising and there's a perfect process and if you follow the perfect process all good but in reality I mean it's just it's just not like that right you always have to improvise and you always have to find your own way
0: Hey everyone welcome back to the SaaS Revolution show brought to you by SaaStock the conference that helps SaaS companies get traction, growth and scale I'm your host Alex Thuma. And I'll be looking at what it really takes to build and grow a SaaS company today, and how founders and entrepreneurs stay healthy on the journey. Now on with the show. Welcome to the SaaS Revolution show, Uh, Veronica Riedler, who is the uh, the CEO and co-founder at DemoDesk. Welcome, Veronica.
1: Thank you so much. Excited to be here.
0: Yeah, great to have you on the podcast uh, for the first time. Um, I think we've known uh, you and, and DemoDesk, you, you know, I th- over the years. I think we, when we did SAS Doc, uh in Berlin um, in 2018, I, I, I want to say that you and your co-founder were there. But let me know, uh, is, does my memory serve me correct?
1: Yes, that's true. That's <laughs> true. Great okay. memories. It was a while yes. ago.
0: Yeah, yeah, it was a, it, it was a while ago. It was a while ago, um, and and look at you guys now. So it's a great see. Actually, see uh, what I what I, did, what I remember from that event is that um, uh, a few things. Uh, Hanno from Personio was speaking uh, there, and they were a much smaller company than they are now. Um, <laughs> Personio is uh, what fourteen hundred people I saw uh, uh, the other day, and uh, yeah, it's just kind of gone huge. And I, I think maybe they were like Series A or something like that uh, back then. Um, I remember you and your co-founder, I think who was also called Alex, uh, was uh, uh, were, were there, um, and, and these were you know the early days of demo desk. And similarly, Yoko um, from um, uh, Yoko Spirig uh, was there uh, as well. Uh, and now she's gone on and sort of like recently been on the podcast and raised a Series A with uh, Sequoia. Um, so yeah, a couple of uh, couple of good. Uh, SaaS companies and startups come out, not necessarily come out of that event, but we're attending that event and you're the ones that I remember. So there we go. Back down memory lane. (laughs) I
1: guess that's a good sign.
0: It is. It is uh, a good sign. Definitely. But Veronica, why don't we tell the audience that's listening and watching who you are? Who is Veronica Riedler?
1: Yeah, so first and foremost, especially in the context of this podcast, I'm a co-founder and CEO of DemoDesk. We founded the company around four years ago. So um, as you said, it was me and Alex, so I have a co-founder. We built a sales meeting platform. So our main goal is to increase sales efficiency around meetings by coaching sellers in real time, automating non-selling tasks, engaging customers in a meeting and also analyzing insights at scale. And um, before that, um, I was working as a consultant. I was working at uh, Bain & Company in Management Consultancy. I am German. Um, I am passionate about software, <laughs> passionate about sales and also efficiency. So DemoDesk is like the perfect match um, of these passions. And um Also, personally, I really love all things outdoor. I love to try new things and uh, get on adventures in general general, um, and just do things I didn't do before, uh, which probably also fits uh, the idea of founding a company, uh, which uh, is what I did a couple of years ago. I also left the US and spent a lot of time going forth and back, uh, both um, uh, with Bain & Company, my former employer, and also with DemoDesk. So we are some sort of like a hybrid company. We have employees across the world. So we have a remote team and uh, half American, half German company. And especially when uh, um, building a sales software, I think it's incredibly important also to, to make sure that this somehow also fits the US market. Um, so, yeah, um, that's uh, overall who I am. And uh, I'm also excited to share more about my journey um, when building Demo today.
0: Very cool. Thanks for sharing that. Did you, uh, just out of curiosity, start a remote company from the beginning? Or was this something that maybe changed like during you know, COVID uh, and and you guys kind of went remote and have stayed remote?
1: So in the very early days, Alex and I started just the two of us. So we started out of Munich. Um, We um, actually bootstrapped the company in the beginning. Um, We got some government grants for the first year, one and a half years. Um, So we got some some salaries um, from the German government and office space. We didn't need to pay that back. We also won some uh, some some tech uh, and startup competitions for our screen sharing technology. So we actually do not record your local desktop, but we set up a virtual screen um, that both the seller or the presenter and the customer, so the participant can access at the same point in time and can orchestrate the entire meeting. And that's basically also where our, our platform starts and what where our platform is built upon. And um, for our technology, we got some 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 grants, uh, won some some competitions, and that money was enough for us in the beginning. Um, so during that time, it was really just Alex and me plus a couple of working students in Munich. And then we applied for Y Combinator, uh, which was uh, at that time still uh, in person. Uh, so um, we moved to Mountain View in 2019 and uh, participated in the program. It was a three months program with demo day at the end. And um, yeah, that's also when we flipped the company. So we flipped the company. From from a German company to a U.S., Delaware C-Corp. Um, and that's also when we started to build the company in like some sort of a hybrid form. That was before COVID. I mean, during COVID that... Uh, became even clearer that this is something that um, uh, we we need to do in order to be successful and also there's no other way so up until today we still hybrid remote however we also did learn over time that for certain things it probably makes more sense to work together in person and to meet physically i mean especially also for um yeah things around sales processes and sharing best practices and learning so there are definitely some things that are better in person but like we most of the time working remotely
0: uh, thanks for sharing that. So we know a little bit about what demo demo Desk does. So th- I think you mentioned that in terms of like the platform to I guess kind of improve uh, sales meetings. Um, and there's a little bit there in terms of the early days and you, you know getting a grant and going through Y Combinator and um, you know having your co-founder uh, Alex. Where did you where did you meet Alex? Like why did you decide to found a company together and why specifically? Like Demodesk, why Why specifically, you, you know, uh, 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 a SaaS to solve this problem?
1: Yeah, so when I left university, to me, it was always clear that I wanted to be an entrepreneur or at least join a company, like an early stage company that's building something from scratch. However, back then, I just felt too young uh, to really start something on my own or I just wanted to learn more. That's why I joined, why I joined a consultancy, but I I always knew that I want to go back to entrepreneurship, want to go back to the startup world. So after a few years in, I basically started looking for potential ideas and potential teams to work with. And during that time, I mean, I looked at a couple of ideas. Um, I I spoke with a couple of people um, uh, that were looking for a co-founder, but nothing like really... I don't know, it like was 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 something that I felt passionate about. And then one of my best friends was also now an investor in the company who was Alex's mentor at that point in time. Um, we are like all three of us are from the same network. So in Munich, there's a an additional study program that's called CDTM. Uh, a lot of founders are from there. Hano, for example, as well. <laughs> and um, we know each other from this network indirectly. And um, basically, my friend connected me and Alex then. Uh, And uh, we started meeting, we started discussing his ideas, but by that time he he already had built um, an MVP for the virtual screen sharing technology um, uh, that lets the presenter use a virtual cloud-based screen for demoing a web app. So he also started with uh, the demoing um, sales use case back then. And then I met Alex and uh, we looked at the idea, looked at potential use cases, and I got really super excited about the opportunity to orchestrate and optimize everything around the meeting. Not just the demo itself, not just the screen sharing process, but also potentially optimizing how to schedule, prepare, run, um, document and follow up after a meeting. And uh, that's what we basically built since then. And I also, of course, um, uh, love the idea of working together with, with Alex because we're super complementary. I mean, he is really like very tech-heavy, <laughs> uh, so he's a great engineer. Um, he's very product-driven. He um, is a great coder. Um, and now he doesn't code as much as uh, as he as he did back then, of course, uh, because he has a team. Uh, but it just really felt like it's a great fit in terms of skills. And we also had the same sort of like values and uh, characteristics. So um, uh, that's where we started.
0: And, and so you, you started in, I think, like 2018, right? And um, fast forward to today, what what data can you share about the company? Um, just to, get, again, give the audience a bit of a picture in terms of your growth and uh, and where you are.
1: So we raised a bit more than $15 million so far. To date, I have around 200 customers and uh, last year passed uh, 1 million ARR milestone. Um, so we're now growing towards 10 million ARR. So that's the next big goal for us. Um, uh, we um, are a team of 50, 5 zero in the company. We're hybrid remote and uh, um, in that squad are also able to uh, achieve uh, a few more things until the end of the year. And then now also looking to grow the team further.
0: Uh, and so you raised uh, pre-seed in, I think it was 2019, so you had that grant money in 2018, raised pre-seed 2019, uh, and then since I've raised seed and, and Series A, right? Um, and if we go back to when you raised pre-seed, were there like any considerations and conversations between you and Alex to actually say like, you know, no, let's bootstrap this, or versus no, actually, like, the only way we're going to do this is to to raise capital and we want to build a $100 million business, like, super fast. So if you take us to back then, you know, were these bootstrapping conversations around or, uh, you, you know, um, how did it go?
1: Yeah, so pre-seed, I would say, was more or less when we got accepted into YC. So we didn't raise any money before. Um, so when we applied for YC and then joined YC in 2019, it was January 2019, that was actually the first time that we got money. We got 150k uh, for 7% of the company, which is the standard deal that every company that participates um, in a Y Combinator program uh, needs to take and needs to accept. So that was more or less our pre-seed. And we really were super excited about joining YC and taking part um, in that program because We wanted to learn how to build a company, wanted to learn from inspiring entrepreneurs, Um, So they're also super inspiring entrepreneurs like the Stripe founders, um, uh, like um, uh, Airbnb founders, segment founders. So also then came to YC and every week we had a super inspiring talk from one of them. And I'm using the word inspiring uh, uh, a few times now um, on purpose, right? Because that's really like what we took away with us after the program. We really were inspired to build something big. And also, um, if you are speaking to people who also were able to build something big, I mean, then you also start thinking, okay, I mean, if they were able to, I mean, it couldn't Theory also be that I'm also potentially able to build something like this. I mean, of course, there's like a lot of timing and luck also uh, that needs to come together. Uh, but we really wanted to join YC for that reason. So it was less about hey, we now need and want that money. It was more about hey, we want to join YC because you want to be inspired and want to learn from the best.
0: That makes a lot of sense. If you you don't have that much experience, obviously, if you're a first-time entrepreneur, you're going to to get inspired and you know learn from the best and also i think you know yc is is, is i think sort of recognized uh, uh amongst the startup community is uh you, you know probably the the cream of the crop uh, from the you know the the accelerator uh, uh side of things right um, uh, and so you got that 150k for seven percent of the business so you uh, and effectively that that was the pre-seed is that what we're calling pre-seed and
1: if you want to call it pre-seed yeah that, that was probably the pre-seed so i think for us the stages are a bit blurry. Um, so, I mean, pre if you call it pre-seed, it was a pre-seed. I think what like was, what you would consider pre-seed today would be more like the seed that we raised. So after these three months of the program, um, there's demo day. Um, so that's like the final presentation day uh, for all the companies that were part of the YC batch. And then you have the unique chance to present to basically all investors that are relevant. Uh, worldwide so a lot of them were in were there in person but also many more were watching that um, over video and so during that time so before demo day, during, slightly after, we were just contacted by a lot of VCs. And then we raised a, a seed round or pre seed round. And we raised a little bit more than $2 million back then. And then uh, when we raised the Series A, it was also quite early for us. So when we raised the Series A, we had very little MRR or ARR. Um, so we've grown tremendously since then, obviously, right? Because we passed 1 million AR last year already. But um, when we raised the Series A, probably also today you would rather call it Seed, uh, given like the, the current changes in the market environment. Um, so we raised around 8 million as a Series A back then. And uh, at that point in time, we also actually didn't plan to raise a Series A. We planned to raise a Seed extension um, uh, because we wanted to get a bit further before raising a proper Series A because it was a bit early for us, right? Um, but then we uh, got approached by many VCs and they pushed us to raise a Series A. And we also got uh, term sheets from, from great investors and uh, then also... Also decided to work with Wolatyn, who is like a super supportive fund and helps us a lot. And also we love working with a partner there. Um, uh, and that was actually also why why we then raised the Series A. So it was really a little bit like um, a series of like. Topics and motivations that brought us to raising money at these different point in times was like, for us not like hey now we want to raise a series A now we want to raise a seed now we want to raise a pre seed was always different motivations behind not just the pure money.
0: And, and, and sorry, I missed the name of the investor. Let's say the lead investor on seed. Uh, Baud- oh, Balderson Oh uh, yeah. Uh, and so why, why did you choose Balderton? I mean, um, out of like let's say the options that you had, uh, what was it about Balderton? Yeah.
1: We were based in. Germany slash US, right, but still like Europe for us is where most of the team is based. So having someone who has more like a European portfolio, European point of view with also a few companies that were successfully also going to the US, expanding to the US, that was important for us, number one. Number two, was important for us that we're working together uh, with a fund who supports us, who partners with us. Um, who also has quite some experience um, in terms of positive references from other companies, which uh, which was the case. And then also the third thing, just during the process, you really liked the partner a lot. And uh, we also liked the other partner. So during, uh, especially during the process with Bolton, what was special about them is that we had to speak to every partner in the partner group which was quite unique, right? Because every partner wanted to have a say, but for us, it was also a great opportunity to get to know the entire fund and understand, okay, who are actually the people behind? And uh, then we decided to uh, basically work together with them.
0: Who was the most intimidating partner at Borderton?
1: Intimidating partner? Oof. I mean, none of them was really like intimidating. I think that like, the... The the most uh, senior partner definitely was uh, Bernard. Um, uh, I mean, he just had like, the most experience, right? So I don't know if, if if that comes close to intimidating. That's like probably what you mean. But uh, I mean, he was still very nice.
0: <laughs> was there? Uh, let's assume they're they're all nice. But were, were there any conversations out of the partners that were tougher than some of the others? Like, was there a? a- a, a toughest conversation out of um, discussions with all the partners.
1: No, I, no. In general, okay. just, that also is not my experience with VCs. I had a couple of very tough conversations with VP sales that I was trying to sell to, <laughs> challenging me about a, a couple of different things. But uh, in terms of VCs, I think it was never as challenging as it was with uh, uh, certain companies uh, where we uh, that we sold to in the beginning.
0: And and Balderton, did they lead your Series A as well?
1: Yes, exactly. We also work together with Target, uh, Target Global, and uh, they're also are a great fund to work with and they also supported us a lot so far. So, those so are the two funds so later on. I mean, it was Bolton leading and then Target also contributing a significant amount.
0: And, and so through your pre-seed, seed through to, to Series A, what uh, what are some of the biggest lessons that you can share on raising venture capital today?
1: Overall, I think timing and momentum is everything. Uh, Especially also in the current environment, Uh, it's clear how big of a role the market environment and the overall sentiment plays. So if you can raise money from a good fund um, at a decent valuation, I think you should always opt for that. Um, So looking back... I was not sure whether for us it was the right point in time to raise money back then because I thought maybe we we're too early, maybe we, I don't know, weren't optimum is a few more metrics. But looking back, I mean, it always was the right thing to do because you never know what comes, you never know how the market changes, especially also right now. I think that's something that some something that like really like everyone also understands and feels uh, because all of a sudden now also valuations have come down, uh, just the sentiment has gotten much worse. Uh, there are Also a lot of companies who are trying to, uh, yeah. Long runway, uh, which of course also has an impact on the overall fundraising environment and the growth of the company. So I would really say timing momentum is, is super important, and not uh, underestimating that, um, uh, and really optimizing for opportunities um, uh, rather than the waiting for the perfect point in time until you raise uh, um, is something that I would I would highly recommend.
0: Talking uh, of the current climate, the current economic climate, uh, and, and what we're seeing out there. Um, what are you um, being advised on, let's say, uh, by your investors to do uh, sort of right now um, with what we're facing?
1: Yeah, I'm smiling now because we have a couple of different advices. Um, I mean, like the, the, the over advice, uh, common advice is to make sure you have 24 months of runway uh, with the money that you currently have on your bank um, by either cutting down costs or Placing a hiring stop or potentially also I don't know, growing revenues and optimizing for profitability, right? Whatever, whatever that means for you. Um maybe also using venture debt and equity. Um so I think there are different options, but overall it's really making sure that you can that you control burn and um uh, um have runway for around twenty-four months. That's the number one advice. I mean I also had, I've heard advices from 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 certain investors that uh, told me to Cut down staff by, like, let's say 30%, and then let every month let like two more people go, which I think is not necessarily great advice, right? Because we also, like, it takes so much time and effort to really build a great team and just because the market is off a little bit, um, basically then uh, blaming them for it and letting them go. I, I don't think that this is the right solution um, but uh, but yeah this was kind of like an odd uh, advice that I got but but yeah like everyone is looking at it differently. I also do know a few companies who uh, were just um, laying off like, a huge portion of their work stuff um, especially you US I think these are more common measurements these times. And if you don't have any other choice right I mean that's what you have to do but if you if you don't need to um, I, I personally like especially like from from my point of view for our company, uh, that would not be the first option that I would pull, even though some investors recommend it.
0: Yeah, yeah I don't know it's, um, if this is entirely accurate, but if I look back to probably like March 2020, um, you know, when that kind of first wave of COVID was sweeping across, you know, Europe and the US, what I did see then uh, or I felt that I saw was a lot of the U.S. companies then making, again, like these these big cuts and, like, cutting 20% and 30% of their workforce and the Europeans not necessarily doing the same. That uh, that was something that I, I thought I was seeing. Uh, and then, again, sort of like now, uh, I think to your point, um, you know, where the market is and, um, you know, the public market, sort of like tanking we're seeing this advice from VCs and again, we're seeing in, like, you, you know, uh, on a weekly basis, predominantly U S companies, you know, cutting 30%, you know, uh, of their workforce, but the Europeans, not so much. Um, do is there anything in that? Is it like, as you say, like a, a US sort of European thing and sort of like mindset, um, where, wherein is it like the U S companies are getting advice from their VCs and they're just kind of, Taking it whereas like Europeans are getting advice uh, and then saying, well like yeah we, we, we appreciate your advice, but also we don't necessarily hundred percent you know agree with it or uh, what are your thoughts
1: I think a couple of things are coming together um, uh, so I mean number one, there might be a few businesses where their business model just doesn't work as well anymore because all of a sudden money costs something so like money was free (laughs) up until late Q4 right so you didn't have to pay any interest rates for it so like of course like money was vastly available Um, and by, by now just the fact that you have to pay interest rates when someone gives you money I think that can destroy um, certain business models uh, combined with rising energy prices, right, which also might like have an impact on some business models, especially like these fast delivery companies or, I mean, uh, crypto companies. I mean, that's like, really like a, a tougher game for software companies. I don't think it's necessarily the case. I mean, you might see some some short-term impact. We also saw some, some impact in April. Um, so we saw pipeline moving a bit slower and also these taking longer, being pushed out uh, into the next quarter or budgets being frozen. Which I, which I totally understand. But I don't think that this is like anything structural. I think software will be equally relevant in the future than it is today. It might just be like a short-term movement, a short-term disruption in the market. Um, that's that's you know, the one thing. Then the other thing is that um, in the US, it's just way easier to let go of people. Uh, so typically just tell someone to... To leave the company and then they're out the next day you maybe have to make a two-week severance payment or pay pay them out for the vacation days and they left but in europe it's a little bit tricky especially in france and germany so um, if you let someone go, it's just not that easy. You can't legally just not let someone go as past the probation period. I mean, in practice, it's possible, but it's a little bit trickier. So just the mindset is a little bit different. And I think also in the US, it's like, OK, if you switch jobs, if you have like a lot of different jobs during your career in, the, in Europe, like there's still a lot of people who join a company and want to stay there forever <laughs> Just like a different mindset. I think the U.S. There's definitely, especially U.S. based VCs, do have much more experience um, in building companies, in building very big companies, in managing failures, in managing downturns. So I think there's definitely something that we as Europeans also can learn. So I think there's a reason why these companies are doing it, but uh, you can't just like, give general advice without looking at the business behind. But but yeah, I don't know if that reflects also your current view of the market. But that's uh, that's at least like my view. that like, like a lot of things coming together, and you, do, you need to differentiate.
0: No, definitely, uh, definitely, and and then just back to onto the the sort of fundraising and your experiences. What what is one big pothole to avoid when fundraising for for CEOs uh, that are listening to this podcast? So, what what potholes should people look to avoid?
1: In the same context uh, of what we just discussed, I think one pothole to avoid is just optimizing for growth. I think that just doesn't work anymore. Um, Metrics and uh, a path to profitability does matter. Um, Burn ratios do matter (laughs) Um, all of a sudden. uh, So in Q4, it was really... And not of any interest, how much money you spent to generate growth as long as you were growing fast enough, and that has changed. so just making sure that like overall the business model is healthy, the business model works, it makes sense. There's a path towards healthy metrics. Uh, this is definitely something that has changed, so like a, a pothole to avoid is just spending a ton of money uh, without like looking at any metrics and and like only optimizing for growth um uh, that I think has really changed in the market.
0: What's the best advice you've ever received about fundraising? Um, you know, as you raise through pre-seed through Series A,
1: I'm probably testing the waters before doing a fully fledged fundraise. So the companies that do particularly well in fundraising, uh, number one, they don't just tell everyone, "Hey, we're raising now," and like. They- blow out the pitch deck to everyone, uh, uh, <laughs> to the entire world, like, but first establish relationships with people, establish relationships with funds that they like, testing the waters and then like optimizing metrics. And then as soon as someone wants to invest, only then going out and getting other term sheets. I mean, it's, it's not as easy as it sounds, obviously, right? So I also know a lot of companies who have been really struggling with fundraising these days, especially in the last months, also have so- seen a lot of companies or friends where term sheets were pulled back even after they were given to them. Um, so uh, uh, the perfect world just looks differently, right? And I think also from the outside, especially if you... Not a founder, not fundra- fundraising. Um, very often you look at other companies and say, oh, wow, this company raised and this company is so successful and this company, I mean, uh, how did they get to this valuation? And very often it's like very like, binary decision. So maybe they just had like one term sheet and if that term sheet didn't work out or if it didn't work out with that one specific investor, it could really mean success or failure. So the world for startups is very, very often black and white. And you, of course, also only see the success stories, right? The the, the stories were like, companies are less successful, they had issues fundraising, like, they, you don't typically hear that publicly, they don't share it. Um, uh, so like, you easily think that it's super easy fundraising and that's a perfect process and if you follow the perfect process, all good. But in reality, I mean, it's just it's just not like that, right? You always have to improvise and you always have to find your own way.
0: Yeah, as you say, look, what you, you see in TechCrunch and all these kind of publications that you know companies have raised uh, and you see the success stories, if we if if we say, well, the successful raises, you know, and these are announcements that the, the tech public uh, publications kind of care about. What I guess what doesn't often come across is actually how difficult it was maybe to kind of raise, in many cases, you, you know, that uh, that particular round. And um, I think if we go back to, like, one story uh, that I recollect, of, like Aircall, which is now a uh they they call themselves a centaur now because they not a unicorn but they've got 100 million in revenue so uh, i think they were saying they were a centaur but um uh, back to when they were like seed stage or something like that uh, i think they had like uh, when they were raising seeds something like 150 meetings and 148 no's um you know to get the, the kind of one or, or two yeses right and uh uh, obviously, you kind of look at them now, but you don't really going to hear too much about that that struggle and the knockbacks and how difficult it was, you, you know, in, in particular rounds. Right. So it would be quite interesting to, um, I don't know, some sort of content around that where it kind of just shines a light on actually, you, you know, all, all everybody hears about is like when the term sheet is done and, you know, how, how you know hunky-dory everything is but actually you know what was the the real kind of struggle behind it but some in, in some cases there are no struggles right some people like you know they get a term sheet just like that and it's you know done in 10 days or whatever um but it's probably the exception uh, i would say to to most founders um if you could go back to when you started demo desk so 2018 what advice uh would you give yourself um speaking to the the 2018 veronica
1: I mean, we made a ton of mistakes. Uh, I think everyone made a ton of mistakes. I think there are a lot of mistakes that you just can't avoid making. So, for example, hiring-related mistakes or mistakes about how to manage uh, um, a certain team members, how to manage teams. Um, it's something where everyone needs to find their own style. So. Unfortunately, I think we you always need to go through some painful learning. So it's not possible. Otherwise, Um, what I would do differently differently is to if I would found again. I mean, I'm a first time founder, right? So for me, it was definitely harder than for someone who had already done it successfully. Uh, we tried to scale certain parts of the company a little bit too early and also were sometimes overthinking topics while they were not yet a priority or not yet burning. So, for example, we um, put together a competency framework where we laid out uh, the requirements for uh, certain career levels, like super detailed, using an example like of a of a knot, how to tie a knot, right? Which is like, it, it sounds great and it was a great framework, but in practice, I mean, it took us a lot of time and it's not really like, That really fits our stage. Um, We probably should have used the time for something else because it's just a little bit of an overkill. Um, uh, So things like that, I would definitely not do again, but really just making sure we always focus on the most burning and most important topics in metrics before spending time on nice-to-have, so spending time on how can I scale, how can I implement processes.
0: Uh, Good advice there uh, to the younger uh, Veronica uh, and to the audience that's um, listening, and uh, a couple of final sort of questions. So um, obviously, we know, uh, as we said at the beginning, that you, you've been to the the, the smaller SASDOC conference that we had in Berlin, uh, but I think you've been to um, a, a couple of uh, SaaS stock, uh conferences in in the past. What is it about stock, um you, you know, uh, that you particularly sort of like? And you know, is there yeah uh, any, anything you can kind of share from your experience of? Uh, attending SASTok.
1: So for us, SASTOC was incredibly helpful. And I'm not saying that because I'm on a podcast, right? So, I mean, I, I really thank you for putting such a great conference together. I know it was a little bit difficult um, uh, during COVID, right? But I mean, especially before it was really an opportunity to meet a lot of potential buyers, a lot of like-minded founders, and especially also for us since we were first-time founders, it was super important to get a lot of feedback on our product. Um, so in the early days of the company, also when we joined Sastok, I just remember the conference uh, was in Dublin, um, uh, we had no like no real connections. I mean, we had some German connections from our network, right, but not really internationally and also like not s- such a big clue about software sales. I mean, I c- had a lot of experience, like sales over, but like not like SaaS sales. Um, and Alex and I then uh, went to SaaSing. We had a competition ongoing, and who was on who was collecting more business cards. Um, uh, so we just went to everyone at the conference that we could find. We really, also attended all the drinking events, and then really tried to sell demos to everyone directly, right away, right? Which you would never do. I mean, it doesn't make sense to just meet someone and telling and then asking them, "Hey, do you want to buy demos?" I'm exaggerating a little bit here to. Make the point but by doing that we met so many interesting people um, and also we learned so much about our pitch learned so much about what the market would need and um, uh, that after the conference we were so much smarter we had a ton of uh, connections uh, so uh, for us it was really uh, super super helpful um, uh, to, to really like start off um, in the beginning
0: cool no good to kind of hear that so the um, again perhaps not not always a, a spotlight shone on the fact that you can get a lot of feedback, you know, around your product, uh, you know, in that early stage uh, from all the conversations and on your pitch and, uh, and so on. So it's a great opportunity day and night, uh, uh, you know, to uh, uh, to work on the pitch and get and get feedback. So uh, thanks for, for sharing that. And obviously looking forward to uh, October, Sastok coming back, as you said, you, you know, we've had a couple of years um, just doing virtual and, and Sastok will be back in Dublin this October. Uh, so looking forward to, um, you know, having you and the team uh, uh, sort of back, and uh, obviously the the future wave of SaaS founders that, that were you know the the 2018 demo desks and the 2018 personios. Um, uh, so uh, looking forward to seeing that that kind of next wave. Well, what's um, What's next for DemoDesk? I know obviously you're, you're looking, you're, you're planning on uh, scaling to 10 million. I, I'm, I'm sure uh, you'll do that in, in uh, I'm not sure what the time frame is. Um, but what's coming up in, you know, the next 12 months? Uh, and then also where can people find you online?
1: So for to answer the first question, so what's for us at the moment um, uh, particularly important is really making sure that we, have a more automated and scalable way of acquiring customers because i mean just also to give some more context here so we built a product that's very tech heavy um, our product has a lot of features but also provides a lot of values and a lot of benefits to customers right so we optimize like all the processes around the sales meeting um uh, but on the other side it also means that you need to implement a few things right like the There are a lot of features where we need to tell our customers how to use them, how to implement them. Um, So what we are doing right now is making sure that the customers that we worked with and that we were holding hands with, um, that we can basically automate these processes and who don't need like a, uh, um, a very long size process and don't need like a manual CS onboarding, which is amazing, which our customers love, right? And for everyone we're, for, for whom we implemented the software, they are also super happy. But we just need to make this more scalable um, and also uh, just create some sort of like a self-sign-up product-led growth motion. Uh, and that's uh, uh, the key thing that we're working at the moment in the company. And um, where people can find me online was the second question. Yeah, so LinkedIn probably is the best place. Um, uh, So I am am active on LinkedIn. I mean, I also do have a Twitter account. I don't use it that much. But uh, LinkedIn, uh, I'm there under my name. uh, So you would easily find me.
0: Cool. Good stuff. Uh, Veronica, thank you so much for being a guest on the, the SaaS Revolution show today. You know, congrats on... Your, your growth uh, since we, we first met in, in 2018. You know, excited for the, uh, the future. Looking forward to seeing you, uh, you know, back at Sastock in, uh, uh, in October. So thank you so much, uh, Ver- uh, Veronica Riedler, uh, CEO of uh, DemoDesk, uh, for being on the SAS Revolution show.
1: Thank you so much. It was a lot of fun. Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the SaaS Revolution Show. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you learned something from it, check out sasdoc.com forward slash events to find all the upcoming SaaS conferences around the world. Want exclusive SaaS content and actionable insights to grow your SaaS? Join our community of over 36,000 SaaS founders at sasdoc.com.